Well, thank you for joining us online again. We're continuing in our series titled Steadfast Gospel Faith in Turbulent Times. Now, our passage for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Now, scholars have called this passage one of Paul's most powerful and beautiful compositions. The images are rich and the language is poetic. And I hope you'll find today's word uh, an encouragement uh, for your soul. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn uh, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. And trusting that you're there, may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. The word of the Lord. We are only a week into school Uh, Schools being closed. Uh, We're only a week into business closures here in California. And many of us are already worn down. We are restless and stir crazy from having to stay at home. Exhausted from trying to homeschool our kids. One of my friends, uh, he tried to homeschool his kids and after five minutes he was done. He he just gave up. Um, So one thing that we learned from this time is that teachers are rock stars. Teachers, you guys are rock stars. Um, Many are disappointed because projects, performances, and events that they were looking forward to uh, have all been canceled. Almost every facet of our lives have been disruptive, disrupted, and we are afraid. We've read countless articles on the coronavirus, and it, it's made us feel powerless and vulnerable. And now, more than ever, I believe that we need to be a people who are shaped and strengthened by God's word. God has never been surprised by suffering. God has always had a purpose for our suffering and he always makes provision for us in the midst of it. And so today I want to shape the message around a question and it's a question that um, comes from the ending of our passage and it's simply this. How do we not lose heart in the midst of suffering? How do we not lose heart? How do we remain steadfast and not lose ourselves to despair? And so the first thing that we see in our passage is that Paul reminds us that that we have a treasure, that Christians have a treasure. We do not lose heart because we have a beautiful treasure in Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle Paul describes it in verse 6, right before our passage. He says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is our treasure, to know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To experience his light shining in our darkness. His light shining upon our darkened and and, and wounded souls. To rejoice in the fact that God's treasure is not earned through human merit. Not earned uh, or acquired through human wisdom. But wholly given to us by grace alone. And what's unique and what's powerful about the treasure of God is that it is incorruptible. It's eternal, it's secure, and it is free for all who believe. I, um, I recently bought a safe for my home. You know, I just ordered a little safe on Amazon. Please don't rob me. There's nothing much in it. Uh, but you guys know what a safe is for. It's for your valuables. It's for your earthly treasure. So some people put money, jewelry, guns, or, or whatnot in their safes. And while we don't have too many of those things in the in the Lee household or the Lee estate, uh, I decided to put a bunch of our documents in the safe. And so our passports went in there, our um, wedding certificate and, uh, you know, Seth's birth certificate will go in there and, and those types of important documents. And as I was filling our safe and just looking at the, the space, it, it looked really empty. It looked really empty and it got me thinking, what is it that I treasure? What do I treasure? What is valuable to me In my life? Is it my health? Is it my comfort? Is it my security? Is it my finances? To be honest, I've been checking the stock market. I think I own like five shares of Apple. And so I check the stock market multiple times a day, just seeing what's going on and and how low things are going to go and are we going to rebound? These are some of my earthly treasures. These are some of the things that have been consuming my time, my thoughts, my energy, my, my heart. And in the midst of this reflection, I remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, I, I do not say this lightly. God has offered you and I a greater treasure than anything this world has to offer. He has given us his greatest treasure through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we look upon his face and place our trust in him, his treasure is ours. His treasure is ours. The reward is eternal. The reward is incorruptible. Not even death, not even Satan himself can take that away from us. And so the first point today is to remember that our greatest treasure is found in Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. He reminds us that this treasure is held in jars of clay. This treasure is held in jars of clay and this is a metaphor for our frail bodies. We are these jars of clay. Treasures may be priceless, but, but jars of clay, especially back in, in Paul's day in the ancient uh, uh, yeah, Greco-Roman culture, they were ordinary. They were ordinary, used for, for everyday purposes. They were easily cracked and easily broken. 
And so there's this huge discrepancy here. Why would God place such a priceless treasure, an eternal, glorious treasure in an ordinary vessel? If it were up to us, we would put our greatest treasures in something strong, in something safe, in something solid. No one would put bars of gold in a shoebox. We would put them in a vault, somewhere secure. Kent Hughes writes this, the immense discrepancy between the treasure and the vessel serves simply to attest that human weakness presents no barrier to the purposes of God. Indeed, God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's what Paul is getting at. That's what Paul is writing about. And that's what Paul wants us to understand today. Friends, right now, many of us feel weak and we feel vulnerable. We're all wondering, how are we going to protect ourselves? How are we going to protect our loved ones during this season? How are we going to um, provide security for our families in the midst of, of all of this hoarding and fighting? What are we going to do if we can't go back to work or can't go back to school or if we lose our jobs? And there's this temptation to use God for our own strength. We have this temptation to use God to try and make ourselves strong as if our weakness plus God's power will increase our power. Okay, that's, that's, that's one equation that a lot of religious people try to use. We find ourselves in weakness. We seek God as a mighty, powerful God. And so we use him to try and increase our power, to try and secure our control, our desires, our comforts. But that is not Paul's argument here. And that must not be our motivation. The gospel is not a means by which you and I acquire more power for ourselves. Instead, we are called to remember that when we come to grips and when we are acquainted with our own weakness, it is an opportunity to show God's power. It is his strength that is made perfect in our weakness. And in the next verses, we see how God does this, how he accomplishes this how God offers power and provision for the weak. Let's read those verses again, starting at verse eight. Paul writes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. There are four statements here that expose our weakness. Four statements that describe Christian suffering. The Apostle Paul experienced each of these throughout his ministry, whether at the hands of the Romans or the Jews, or even within his own churches as rivals and false teachers tried to undermine his reputation and his ministry. Paul experienced hardship, hunger, and abandonment. Truly, his life, in his life, God showed what it meant to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And as we look at this list, each statement intensifies in suffering. So Paul was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. To be afflicted means to be radically pressured, to be squeezed, and to be troubled. To be perplexed means to be at a loss, to be confused or bewildered. 
To be persecuted means to be pursued, to be chased and hunted down. To be struck down literally means to be whacked, to be beaten, to be hit. And as Paul experienced all of these things, he had opponents in Corinth who thought, you know what, all of your suffering is, is a symbol. It's a demonstration of the fact that God isn't with you. They thought someone close to God A true apostle of God shouldn't suffer so much. Someone who's really blessed shouldn't experience so much pain and hardship in life. In the Old Testament, Job's friends thought the same thing. They said the same things to him. They thought, Job, if God was with you, he would have protected you from all of that suffering. If God was with you, he would have protected your property. He would have protected your servants. He would have protected your family. If God was truly with you. You see, friends, the gospel doesn't make us immune from suffering. We know that Job was a righteous man. We know that Paul was truly a servant of God, an apostle of God. The gospel doesn't make us immune from suffering. Being close to God doesn't secure us and keep us absolutely safe from suffering. What the gospel does do is it equips us to suffer well. The gospel reminds us that we can suffer with a greater purpose in mind. The gospel provides us the resources we need to suffer in a way that provides hope and life to others. Another way to suffer well is to actually be vulnerable with each other. Right, right now, our culture, we, we don't love weakness. We, we run from it. Who wants to hire weak people? Who wants to to uh, invite weak people into their, their study groups, right? Or onto their sports team. Weak, weak people get picked last, right? On basketball pickup games and, and whatnot. We are a culture that, that is drawn to strength. We are a culture, we are people that is drawn to confidence and charisma and giftedness and ability. And what that does for all of us is in the midst of our weakness, we want to hide. We want to hide and we don't want to be vulnerable. But a Christian is able to suffer well as we are vulnerable with each other, as we are willing to confess that we are weak, and as we understand that we are but jars of clay. We suffer well when we admit to one another that we are anxious and scared. We suffer well when we ask our friends and family members for help in times of need. Many of us are are too proud to do that. We suffer well when we invite other Christians into our pain, into our anxiety and fear, and ask them for prayer and support. And ultimately, we suffer well when we see that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who suffered for us, a Savior who suffered in such a way that he is able to empathize with us in our weakness. And this is why Paul's response in our passage is crucial for us today. He says, in his body, he carries the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. That seems like an awkward, difficult phrase. What is Paul saying? What does he mean by saying, in our body, in my body, I carry the death of Jesus? He's saying that as he suffers, he knows he's not suffering alone. As he suffers, he's always remembering the suffering of Jesus Christ. 
In the midst of his own weakness, Paul finds strength in the Savior who suffered for him. Friends, do you know why we are pressed but not crushed? Why we are a people who may be persecuted but never forsaken? Why we can be struck down but not destroyed? The reason is this. Because the gospel doesn't just end with the cross. It doesn't just end with the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. It culminates in glory. The gospel is a story of a heinous death, but also a victorious life. The tomb was empty, and the father vindicated his son, raising him up on the third day. And this is why Paul writes, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Just as the father raised the son, he will raise each and every one of his sons and daughters in faith. This, brothers and sisters, is why we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart because in light of eternity, we are experiencing, and I don't want to be dismissive, these are Paul's words, in light of eternity, this is a light and momentary affliction. And what God is ultimately doing in our lives, he's preparing us for glory. He's preparing us for eternal glory. Church, I, um, I struggled a lot with this passage. You can, you can ask my staff. I was actually supposed to preach this uh, a lot earlier, but I, I was just struggling so much with this passage because I initially chose it thinking that, man, this is going to be just really helpful and practical for everyone who's going to be watching and listening today. In the midst of our current hardships with the coronavirus, with economic crisis, with schools shutting down, with our anxiety and our fears, I thought that this passage really would just lead us right into some very practical on-ramps to experiencing God's presence and his grace and his comfort and as the text kept leading me to, to heaven, as the text kept leading me to, to glory, honestly, I was resistant. I was resistant. I was worried that it wouldn't be practical enough. Worried that, that you would dismiss a message ultimately about heaven because you wanted help for today. You wanted help for today. But then I surrendered to, to God's word and, and I just let the text uh, kind of direct this message. And I realize that truly, nothing is more practical. Nothing is more essential for us today than the hope of heaven. Nothing is a greater promise for you and I today than the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And, and nothing's more important for us to realize that that, that promise is for us it's for our children, and it's for everyone who believes. And so I realized that, that, you know, in the end of the passage where Paul says, hey, it's not about the things that are seen. Those are transient. It's about the things that are unseen, that are eternal. I realized that my concern was on the temporal. My concern was on the transient. I, I, I wanted to, 
to make sure that, yeah, we're, we're all washing our hands, we're flattening the curve, practicing social distancing, that, that, that we are, 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 are fighting the spread of the coronavirus in our, in our city, in our state, in our country, and, and the world, that we're uh, able to, to yeah, see and secure uh, human flourishing, uh, restoration of order in our society. And I realized that, that that was my primary obsession, that that's what I wanted to see uh, today in my life uh, for our, our community. And in doing so, I was missing out on what it means to be distinctly Christian, a distinctly Christian response in the midst of suffering, a distinctly and beautifully Christian gospel response in the midst of crisis and anxiety. Friends, where is your focus? Where is our focus today? Is it just self-preservation? Is it just, yeah, uh, community well-being? We see Paul's focus in verse 15. It is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What Paul saw in his suffering was not only an opportunity to be united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. He saw in his suffering, in the suffering of those around him, an opportunity to put the hope of the gospel on display. To be on mission, to lead more and more people to faith, to share and experience the treasure that he had in Jesus Christ, in the face and in the glory of Christ. He wanted that to be experienced, that to be shared, that to be spread more and more. So I realize that I want to see All Nations Community Church become more missional in this season not reclusive. I want us to be um, more passionate about the gospel, about evangelism, about seeing lost people come to Jesus Christ in this season. Friends, isn't that true right now? What people need in the midst of fear and anxiety, don't they need the hope of glory found in Jesus Christ? This was Paul's obsession in the midst of suffering. Will it be yours? Will it be mine? Tim Keller, in his message on Christian hope and suffering, he, he writes this was the, as an encouragement. Don't just accept suffering because God doesn't want it. Don't just avoid suffering because God can use it. Don't embrace suffering because it is evil. Instead, enjoy the hope that suffering is going to be engulfed, that it is going to be swallowed up. The evil that hurts us now will be the eventual servant of our joy and glory eternally. Amen. That is what Jesus Christ does. That's what he does to our suffering. He engulfs it. Death is swallowed up in victory as he rose from the grave and as he promises that all who believe in him, they will not perish, but have everlasting life. We are but jars of clay. But in Christ, we have an imperishable, incorruptible treasure. Is it yours? And would you share that with others around you who desperately need the hope of the gospel? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this sober and great reminder for us today. We confess that in this season, there is a great temptation to live out of fear and to consume ourselves with our own preservation. Remind us of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Would you put the gospel heavy on our hearts? Would it give us joy and security as our treasure? And would we long to see that treasure embraced and enjoyed by many more? God, there are many in our community, in our schools, in our workplaces, across the world that are in need not only of basic human resources, but they are in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that, that you would allow us here at All Nations the great privilege of being part of your kingdom work, of being part of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations for your glory, by the power of your spirit, announcing the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.